This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for August 23rd, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to rate the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else. Five stars and rate a review. It does a world of help when out trying to get out there and find new listeners. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to click the link in our show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor the podcast, and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joining alongside, as always, my friend and co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, I'm sorry I sound like hell tonight. I, 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 had, a, I had a travel weekend that I don't care to repeat anytime soon. And it's a little frightening considering that two weeks from now, I'm traveling up to Chicago. Mike, if it makes you feel any better, you sound the exact same. I okay, do not notice any, I it. do not notice any change in your voice. So I, I think you're good. I don't think you have anything to worry about. And I, knock on wood, have only had pleasant experiences at the O'Hare airport. And I'm assuming that's what you're flying into. So I expect you to have a very safe and successful all-out weekend. That's what I'm hoping for. You know, it was something I... Went back to the Metroplex last week in case, and I had probably one of my top three most miserable travel days of my life, and that includes the time that I left my passport in a hotel room outside of Halifax, Nova Scotia, missed immigration, and ended up having to spend a whole night at the Newark Airport. It's up there. It's not that one, but it, but but it's a podium contender. Yeah, no, that sounds uniquely horrible. I. I... I only lost my phone about a half hour from where I live a few weeks ago, and that was enough trauma for me to really uh, be antsy about traveling anywhere far away in the near future. In case you know, I had that happen to me not more than like four months before that, too. That you lost your phone? I lost my phone 30 minutes after, actually not even 30 minutes. I was walking from baggage claim to the the Uber left, the uh, car fare area at lax it slipped down my pocket while i was attached to a charger lost it within 20 minutes of land of landing in lax the weekend of my brother's wedding of which i was the best man and That's we were having right. a bachelor I, party i that remember week. this yes this was uh this was a very hectic mike spears weekend i it's could been tell a hectic mike spears 2022 to be quite on it i would say 35 years however old you are it's all it all seems pretty intense well thank you for underestimating my age i maybe had one stress-free year there 
Okay, good, good, good. Uh, but how yeah, are you, no, buddy? I, I'm I'm okay. I am going to have you mark time here and make sure that we're recording because I still don't see waves next to my name and it's making me really nervous. Yes, we are recording and I'm getting waves on my end. Okay, all right. I'm gonna. Okay, all right. Well, I, I, other than that, I'm doing okay. I'm I'm very afraid that we're gonna do 90 minutes of audio and I'm not running a backup. Although I'm gonna start that right now. Now that I think about it. Um, but other we'll than that, see about this. We'll <laughs> see about this. So just so everyone knows here, since we're just doing production on air, I, I don't care. This is what we're known for here. Uh, our VOIP service that we use to record the show had a massive update and the way that their UI has changed. Whereas in the past, I very rarely got to see my waveform. Now Case does not see his waveform. So we're hoping and I, everything I'm seeing on my side as the one recording it tells me so that Case's audio is being recorded. Yeah, I've I've got a backup going now, and I, I I think everything's fine. So other than that, I I'm doing quite well. I I think this is going to be a very interesting show. I have a big picture take that I want to discuss at some point with you. I th- I think I, I think we might as well get into it now. Can I can I throw something big at you? Just okay. food for thought. All right, I I'm here for it. You know, I think this is probably a good way before we get into the weekend shows and other stuff to have a big branching topic. So you know, pitch it over the plate. Let me see what you got. So I'm gonna throw this idea at you, and if you completely disagree with it to the point that you think it's not worth discussing, please let me know. And we can save ourselves time and energy because it's it's very much in the vein of a Bill Simmons half baked idea where I had this thought. I didn't see anything reasonably stopping me from saying it in public, and now I would like to voice it over the airwaves. And that is, when you look at Dragon Gate's September of 2021 through August of 2022, let's call it 12 months just to be fair for for what we can compare and contrast if you think this is a topic worth discussing. Do you think this is the single greatest year of talent development within a single wrestling organization that you've ever seen. Oh boy, this uh, you thought I would hate this question. Why did you think I would hate this question? I didn't. This th- is- I didn't think you would hate this question. I just want to make sure that you think it's it's worthy of a discussion because this oh, is think- this is one of those things that if you tweet out and the wrong people see it, they're going to dunk and dunk and dunk. But I really think there is, at the very least, validity to discussing this topic, even if I'm not sure I agree with it yet. Yeah, no, I, I, as you know, I'm like a fiend for like things that you might not even come to the answer you want to, but it's worth exploring. So 20, so basically what you're proposing is from basically the debut of the Ahashis at Dangerous Gate up to through, let's just say, whatever will happen over the next month and a half is what you're proposing. I'm, I'm talking about Ahashis to Nagano. Is this the single greatest year? And I'm just talking about rookies. There's, there's established wrestlers in Dragon Gate that I think are worthy of discussion too. But when you look at the rookies, and I think it's worth mentioning because a year at this point in time with the way we consume content, especially Dragon Gate, which largely airs weekly at this point live on the network, a year is a very long time. So just to recap for anybody that maybe dove in at Kobe World and the Ultimo Show and are listening to this for you know the first time ever or whatever, Ricky Hashi, Ishini Hashi, Takumi Hayakawa, Kuma Fujiwara, Ryo Fuda, Shoya Sato, Mochizuki Jr., and Kaito Nagano. That's eight rookies that have debuted in the past year. I mean, am I missing anybody there? 
Well, it, it's worth saying that it's less than a year we're talking about because we're well, I, I, just in case. So eight people in approximately 11 months with one person who will not be debuting instead is going to go for extended training in Mexico. So we're really talking about nine people. And that by itself is absurd. The fact that Drangate, which is known for having a very rigorous process of, you know, you can get into the dojo, there's no size requirements. As long as you complete the green boy duties, the path is up to you. You make your own destiny. To have nine kids in 11 months come through that system by itself is insane. And then you start going down the list. And of course, you have the names there with Ricky Hashi and Shoya Sato. Now, I look at Sato I think you look at Sato like this. I know Jay looks at Sato like this, Drangate, Jay who does English commentary for Drangate, that Sato is ultimately a success story. The fact that he was able to debut and wrestle on the roster for the short amount of time that he did is a whopping success, let alone the fact that when he was on the roster, his chemistry with Don Fuji was electric. He seemed like a valued member of the roster who fit in with the high work standards of the company. Is that a fair assessment? And it's worth stating that there, it's very possible at, at the end of the day, is that at least around his hometown, that he might be someone that if he remains like in his hometown, I, I, I have no clue. I mean, he's someone that completely, when he retired, he returned to private life. But I could see him being someone, at least around his hometown, promoting shows or something like this. Like, I, I, I think that choosing to, to like have his short career as it is really deciding to you you're wanting to have the cliff notes until instead of really knowing what happened you know yeah ultimately he's family and his time in dragon gate although brief was a net positive i think ricky hashi is one of those guys who i think it kind of depends even in the small bubble of dragon gate there's a few different camps in which people operate in I look at Ricky's departure as, hey, this is a guy who didn't want to be a pro wrestler for whatever reason, and I don't necessarily look at that as a flaw. It's disappointing to me because last September when these two brothers debuted, you immediately latched on to Ishin Ihashi, and boy, is that looking like a good pick right now. A lot of Ishin Ihashi discussion coming up. I looked at Ricky from his first match on, and I said, this is a guy who... If everything worked out, which ultimately it didn't, but if everything worked out, this was a guy who could be who could have B plus talent and end up being an A plus star simply off of the fact that I thought he offered a really unique charisma in the same way of an El Generico or a Daisuke Sakamoto or a Shima, one of those guys that if you put him in Cork and Hall, or you put him in, in Oberhausen for WXW, or you put him in Reseda, or you put him in the Hammerstein Ballroom, or you put him on American television, it doesn't matter the setting. I thought there was something about Ricky Yahashi that was very universal. There was a lovable babyface quality to him. Unfortunately, it only lasted a few months, but anybody with a brain could see that this was a guy who was well-trained in at least in terms of the physical aspects of wrestling, was somebody that was prepared to make a name for himself. Yeah, and the the one thing I, I would offer that, that you haven't mentioned is drag wrestlers and rookies in wrestling, like if anything in this scenario is typical for the wrestling industry, I feel like Ricky Hashi was the typical story of, oh, debuted, decided it wasn't for him, got out. 
you know, but yeah, he was someone that I did not necessarily latch on to that charisma that you uh, that, that you did. But it was something that I mean, just the act of itself was just was such a leg up that I mean, it, it's something that I mean, we are probably not too far away from reality that we're talking about like a trios tag happening next month with the Ahashi brothers and his and their dad, Ishan Riki versus Mochizuki, Mochizuki Jr. and Susumu. Right. Like it's something. And, and I mean, that's like a high profile thing. Like that's something that has gotten a little bit more coverage for Dragon Gate than they usually do for sorts of things. So, so like yes. there's obviously a legs leg up because like he passed the test. He was able to wrestle like he was not. It was never the issue there. The wrestling was never the issue. That's a good point. That September Corkin show, and I forget what has already been announced for it other than the Mochizuki versus Ihashi tag, but you will see far more press coverage of that match than anything that Eita or Yoshioka or Yamato does. That is a match that is going to possibly attract eyeballs outside of the regular Dragon Gate fan. That's a big match, and it speaks to Ishii Hashi, who, again, a lot more on him coming later, but it speaks to the level of quality that he's at, along with Mochizuki Jr., than obviously the generational uh, wrestlers there with Mochizuki and Ishin Riki. Yeah, and when I say, like, media coverage, I'm not necessarily talking about just, like, Tokyo Sports or Weekly Pro Wrestling. This is the kind of stuff that, like, I'm not saying this will happen, but this is the kind of things that, like, panel shows which are huge in japan like that's what uh kesuke sasaki and akira hokuto do right now they love stuff like this i mean they had uh rin kawakura and uh the uh, sasaki's son on just to talk about them being married like just as like a public interest thing like this is the kind of thing that media latches on to just to clarify that point and then you find yourself with six remaining rookies. Obviously, Kaito Nagano, who made his debut on these shows. We'll talk about him in just a little bit in the three matches of his that have made tape. You've got Rio Fuda, who was hurt for a few months, wasn't on the shows this past weekend in Fukuoka, but the bits and pieces of him we've seen since his injury return have been very promising. I liked what I've seen from him a lot. You have Takumi Hayakawa, who debuted last October and assimilated himself with that Minorita gimmick to the roster so quick that I feel like I forget he's a rookie. Are you in that boat as well? It just seems like uh, Minorita has been around for a long time now. Yeah, and it's something with uh, Hayakawa slash Minorita that this gimmick is the one thing out of high class that's actually really worked. So it's it's actually something that it's not just that you're having trouble about, oh, he's a rookie, is what do you do with him now? He's kind of like so successful, but now he's cursed by the success that I don't know what you do with him. He's found himself such a good role for someone as a rookie that now you're thinking about what next for him. Oh, I don't know. And that's an awesome problem to have. And then the crux of this discussion, which I think separates this class, the class of 2021 and 2022 from T2P, who I'd like to talk about, from the class of 2016, who I'd like to talk about, and from a few different classes outside of the Dragon Gate universe, you have three legitimate Rookie of the Year contenders if we're looking at things from the Observer perspective in Takuma Fujiwara, Ishinihashi, and Mochizuki Jr. And I think if you start with that third name, Mochizuki Jr. in a normal year, I think you and I would actually be losing our minds at the prospect of what he means to this promotion if there weren't already two rookies that 
are not good for rookies, but are legitimately good wrestlers who are now impacting this promotion in a seemingly major way. Mochizuki Jr. has somehow become the third wheel. Yes, he came in later than almost everybody else, but he is a champion. The one thing I was wrong about in terms of the Open the Triangle Gate Championship, because let the record show that from the start of this year onwards, I've been pretty much right about everything regarding the Triangle Gate Championship, unlike some publications. The one thing that I've really been wrong about was I thought this Triangle Gate run would be Masaki and Susumu Mochizuki leading the charge and working these matches around protecting Mochizuki Jr. And instead, what has happened is that this 20-year-old, this guy who debuted in June, has stepped up to the plate and has taken the spotlight from some of the greatest wrestlers we've ever seen and has become the focal point of these multi-man matches. He has succeeded in his singles match with Ishii Hashi. He is a mind-blowing level talent for being three months into his career. He... Oh, it's so interesting to watch because you see that he's still a rookie. There's there's a spot in one of these matches, a match that I loved. It was actually my match of the weekend that, that he was involved in where he was a little bit out of place. There's still some Mochizuki Jr. stuff that is rough around the edges. But for a rookie, for this to be where he starts, oh my God. Can you imagine where he's going to be a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? Again, not all of these guys work out. We learned it the hard way this year with Sato and with Ricky Ihashi. But Mochizuki Jr. is on a path now that is uh, almost terrifying is the word. Because if he's this good three months into his career, where is he going to be six months? Where is he going to be a year from now? Where is he going to be two years from now? Yeah, and it's something that he is very rough around the edges. Arguably, he's the the only person who's been as rough around the edges as a rookie was La Estrella, but he's still much more consistent than that. It's just like little things that, that, I mean, this is a guy that literally is approaching his third month of professional wrestling. So, and, and he's being thrust into these roles. Like, the fascinating thing, and I'm not trying to be fun cop here about this, is what's going to happen with Mochizuki Jr. after he gets taken out of the M3K thing. Like, that's going to be the real story with him. But, I mean, we're months, if not years, away from that even being a thing. And, and until then, seeing how he uh, how he just sands off those rough edges and grows into being a fantastic pro wrestler because it's something that, if any... Like, the, the man of the weekend at Kobe World uh, weekend was uh, was Jackie Funky Kamei. But if you're talking about someone who really planted the flag in a weekend in a way they're just like, okay... He's a little bit more than the name that, that we thought he was. He made the major step forward. You're talking about Mochizuki Jr. at the front of that list. Yeah, and I initially had those concerns about M3K and Mochizuki Jr. and what he would look like once he's away from this unit. But between the singles match earlier this month in Corkin and then him and Strong Machine J team against Kai and BB Hulk, I think if for some reason... Drangate imploded tomorrow and M3K ceased to exist. I think Mochizuki Jr. would fit in anywhere else, whether it be this roster, on another roster, in another unit, in another company, it doesn't matter. I, I, I think he has a strong enough foundation to really be successful anywhere. And that's what's so interesting about this. And, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying these six guys that are left plus the seventh that's in Mexico, these guys aren't all going to be superstars. It's not necessarily comparing their star power to the class of 2001 OVW or to the class of 1984 New Japan. It's the fact that we're a year in 
and these guys are as good as they are. And there's no greater victim of this system than Ishinihashi, who realistically, we should all be rallying around. He's this uh, blue-collar-like wrestler, this bowling ball kind of guy. We've seen a blueprint of him in other companies. In Dragon Gate, he's a little bit more unique, and there's a bit of an uphill battle with his in-ring approach but he has now passed these early tests with flying colors. And if he wasn't in the same company wrestling at the same time, debuting in the same year as Takuma Fujiwara, who we'll put a pen in and get to that, Ishinihashi would be, to me, the clear front runner rookie of the year. And it just so happens he debuted alongside a generational talent. Yeah, it, it's something that it, I, I just find something that like when he debuted, there was something very likable about Ishin. You know, like, like you have his brother who had the movie Good Looks. You have this guy who, you know, he, he he's a little thicker. You know, I mean, they put him in the singlet. He had to wear the boa out there. Like, it was something where it, you're just like, oh, Isha. And he, he was kind of lovable in a way. Yeah. And it, it, it's something that over and as much as I'm loath to say it, really since his brother retired, he's taken the bull by the, ho- the horns. Like, if he's the pink bull rampaging through through the China shop in four years, then hey, that is something that Dragon Gate really needs that they haven't really had on the roster, like that kind of presence since Binke as a young guy. So that that is something that's, that's really unique. And I think we're seeing that he's adapting his his unique style because it's, it is a little bit more rough and ready. It's something where it's like, oh, Ishanahashi kind of want to send you to Continental, see what you can do there. But it's... Uh, I, I I like watch him and see the steps that he's really made since his brother retired. And yeah, he's made the steps that if it wasn't a year that I hope people and and I would consider that our listeners would, would already be thinking about this. We're just talking about Dragon Gate wrestlers here. Like if we get across the wrestling world, we're 2021 and 2022 has been one of the more phenomenal years for rookies. So well, it's something yeah, that, that he's that, made a step forward in the midst of this and has really made a, put the flag on the mountain himself. That, that, that's that's my point exactly. I mean, there's a few kids in Noah that I think are talented, but I don't. I mean, I'll just I'll take Ishinihashi's work over any of the young guys in Noah without question. I think I would say the same about Mochizuki Junior. And at this point. Minorita, because I think you know it's it's not like Minorita ever embarrasses himself. I mean, there's no young talent in all Japan. New Japan has a number of young guys, and look, my my fingers are a little bit off the pulse with them right now. But it it correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't seem like there's a particular New Japan young lion that people are bursting at the seams at. And then you've got your American talent, which obviously there's nobody in NXT, Womp, there it is. And so you look towards AEW, you're a little bit more familiar with the YouTube universe than I am. Hook is the the prized possession of this rookie class, and rightfully so, even if I think he is a worthy second place to Takuma Fujiwara, but I know that's a losing battle, and that's only one that I can fight here. Yeah, it's something that I, I I mean, I'm just not going to mince words. The last two years for producing uh, North American indie talent and talent that has gone into the major promotion systems has been some of the more depressing times. Like, it's just not a – I don't look at the scene and I look at it and I see certain things there. Like, it really takes someone like Hook this year separate from forward. Last year of Jay Cargill, where I still would put Takuma Fujiwara against both of them. 
at least when we talk about Sandpoint. But as you're saying, like that's we, we know how the uh, Observer electorate goes at this point, and it's really playing for hoping Takuma Fujiwara gets a strong second place if, and, and maybe third as like a realistic possibility. But yeah, no, it's something that you, you look at the wrestling world and there are figures like Hook, but it's something that nine wrestlers, that that is abnormal. Like that's only like when you launch a promotion in an area that does not really have much pro wrestling that you will see that many rookies happen. Yeah, that leaves Fujiwara, who has been out of sight, out of mind for three months now. You know, he left in May of this year, and I think it's already a little easy to forget just how good and how exciting he was. And he wasn't good for a rookie. He wasn't good for a 20-year-old. By the time he left for Mexico, he was a legitimately great professional wrestler, and he demonstrated that in the Dragon Daya match, obviously, and the stuff he did with Diamante and the stuff he did with SB Kento. He's, he's an anomaly. And I think he's someone that is going to come back from, from Mexico. And I pray that he doesn't come back with a mask on. I pray that he doesn't come back with a gimmick. I want him to be under the same name with roughly the same look, clean up the hair a little bit. And then I think he's off to the races. You know, one of the things that I thought, I thought was so interesting that again, I think sets this class apart from so many other classes in the history of pro wrestling. The last time we talked to Jay, one of the things that he mentioned was, you know, on a small scale, it's not like this guy was selling at Madison Square Garden, but Fujiwara had become a draw on the small shows, on Corkin. Had he been around for Kobe, I think that would have been a draw for people, that this guy was just generating so much buzz with, did you see this kid? Did you see what he did? Did you see his moonsault, this, that, the other thing? He was an integral part of this promotion by the time he left. And it's absurd. Again, he went to Mexico without a U.S. visa because I, I, my impression, and I could be wrong, but my impression is that nobody from the class of 2021 was supposed to be shipped off to Mexico as fast as nope. they were. But Fujiwara was so mind-blowingly good, they realized they had something there, and they shipped him off in a group effort. And, and I don't know if that was the right decision or not. Time will tell, but he exceeded expectations to such a degree. I mean, there's no way that in November of this past year, that when Rio Saito and Genki Horiguchi and the other mysterious pencils in the Drangate booking room, there's no way that, that, that when they look towards March of 2022, that they scratched their chin and said, you know what? I think Takuma Fujiwara is going to wrestle for the Open the Brave Gate Championship. That is something that this guy earned. And for as entertaining as Hook is, and for as good as Ishinihashi is, Fujiwara alone makes this an incredibly special class in the context of wrestling and talent development, of guys going from point A to point B in a year. And then you look at who's alongside him, and you see Ishin, and you see Mochizuki Jr., and you see Minorita, who is, again, incredibly underrated, and we don't really look at him like that because of the way he assimilated to the roster so fast. And now you've got Kaito Nagano, who we haven't talked about it, but I thought he had a great debut. And it's just absurd how much talent is there. I am not sure there has ever been a promotion that in 12 months has developed so much young talent. And I, I, I don't have a better way to summarize your point here that, or to add to it, Case. So I kind of wanted to diverge just for a quick second here 
So we really only got about four to five months of peak Takuma Fujiwara in Dragon Gate before he left to go on an excursion. He's working in Mexico. He also has a mask now for it, which, I mean, I think that's solely because he can't work the States like his his other his other classmates and SB Kento. So you get him more work. Get You can wrestle mask and unmask, and he gets more work that way. But I wonder, like... He was such an aberration. They're like, well, go send him to Mexico. They may, or they came to that conclusion here. I wonder what the world would look like, or at least what 2022 would look like for Takuma Fujiwara if he didn't go on excursion. Like, could we possibly, like, maintaining the similar levels that he was doing? Like, not saying that he's just going to explode to a level we haven't seen of, but stuff that we've seen out of him. We're talking realistically, without hyperbole, one of the best rookie years ever. If you say it in Dragon Gate. Oh and my this- god. I mean, Mike, I, I asked you on the air a few months ago if we could realistically consider him for most outstanding. Yeah, so it's something that I think in the long term, I mean, hey, he's 20. It was already at a point where they felt like he was ready for it. Who's to say 22, 23, he comes back in, he left a boy, comes back a man. Like there's there it, the world is not prepared for what could happen with Takuma Fujiwara, but it, it's just a what if case that that I've I don't find myself awake thinking a lot about Dragon Gate at times, but that is one thing that I have thought about a lot. If he stays, he's guaranteed at least one big singles match in Kobe, let alone what he would do for the rest of the year. I mean, I, I think again, Hook's gonna win the award. Hook's probably gonna win the award by record margins. But I do think had there been, and again, the match that I wanted was KZ versus Fujiwara at Kobe. If that match happens and it's the match that we would expect it to be, I do think you would get some people on board with like, hey, this kid did it against Dragon Daya. He did it against Diamante. Now we did it against KZ. Okay, there was clearly something to this guy. I voted the SFM 50. Takuma Fujiwara could stop wrestling today and he would finish in my top 50 this year. That's how good the first five months of his year were, and I'm a little behind on watching all of the footage that's popped up of him in Mexico. I did watch him in a six-man tag on the Virus anniversary show over the weekend, Alex Shelley's favorite wrestler, and it's him and Estrella and Junta from Pro Wrestling Noah against three luchadors that I was unfamiliar with, and by no means is it a good match. It is actually a very bad match for the most part. But seeing Fujiwara, a 20-year-old kid from Japan who has been wrestling for less than a year, just embrace everything there is about being in an undercard Lucha six-man tag, this guy acts like he deserves to be there, like he belongs there, like he is a regular in this promotion. And it's so funny given Estrella who doesn't really steal the spotlight. And then the Noah kid, who I I will continue to use the phrase, he looks like he's doing Lucha at gunpoint. I've never seen somebody look so uncomfortable in the ring with Luchadors. And then there's Fujiwara in his low-key pants, in his top knot, just looking like he is ready to take on the world. And he is the kingpin of this class. Him alone is a very special wrestler and a very special example of talent development. But you throw Ishin, you throw Mochizuki Jr., you throw the rest of the guys in there, and you are looking at something that is truly incredible. Let me throw this idea at you, Mike. Let's compare these guys to the class of T2P, 
their debut show in November of 2001 through Absolute Mente 2002. Do you think the core that we've seen of 2022, those eight guys, even though we've only seen a little bit of Nagano, are stronger than that T2P roster? Man, the problem about that is the T2P roster is both damned by high expectations because you have generational talent like Milano Collection 18, Masato Yoshino in that one, but you also had some clunkers in there in T2P. Like that, there were some guys that just did not go, and some of them are still wrestling in, in zero one right now. So <laughs> uh, it, it, it's something that. Here's what I'll say about that, because T2P, yeah, it was a three-year span. If we take the, the introductory class, or really like the landing class there, I'm taking a future over a T2P at this moment, just because we don't have some of the real stinkers that T2P had. Do you think, and again, let's use this time frame of T2P debut show through Absolutamente, do you think that era of Milano Collection AT is better than what we've seen from Takuma Fujiwara. You see, this is where I think Fujiwara is cursed by the era he's wrestling in. Because we know what uh, what, what Milano Collection AT's crowd response was. And we have an indication. There were times that there were some errant crowd calls for Fujiwara, but we knew definitively what kind of charisma... Uh, Milano had so I, I would have to go Milano in that instance just that it, it, it's unfair to uh, to Takuma to, to say it this way but it's just it, he's an incomplete where we have a complete answer with uh, Milano I think that's a very fair answer you should make a point I know you've been busy lately you should make a point to catch up on Fujiwara in Mexico because again he's a nobody he's working nothing undercard tags and he is getting a crowd response and it's less so from the big move from the moonsaults and the head scissors as much as it is him directly interacting with the crowd and if and boy is it an if but if Japan ever gets back to that point that is something that we haven't even seen from him in his home promotion of having that one-on-one -on -one interaction with people in the crowd he's embraced that in Mexico he has proven that he can get a reaction out of people it's only a matter of time before we see that in his home promotion I think if you're going to compare the two directly I think Milano and Fujiwara are going to be your ones and I think Yoshino and Ishinihashi are going to be your twos. And I, I think they're very similar because Yoshino that first year, you look at, you know, the great six-man tag January of 2002, his singles match with Milano in March of 2002, the great stuff at Absolute Mente, they're both in that six-man tag with Crazy Max. Yoshino ends 2002 with the T2P singles match against Kinesh, their first singles outing. He's on a similar trajectory of Ishinihashi where under normal circumstances, you would go, oh my God, look at this rookie. He just happens to be peers with a possible generational talent. And I hope for Fujiwara's sake that he wrestles a lot longer than Milano has. But I think the top of these classes are very similar. But to your point, you look at the T2P roster. And again, I love T2P. I think it's one of the greatest things to ever exist. But Naruki Doi is not the Naruki Doi that we love now. You know, Anthony W. Mori was not at the peak of his career at this point. Brother Yashi had better years down the line. The only other strong Did he guy... I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, Brother Stevie Tsuchimoto, I felt like, might, might make claim as being the peak of Brother Yashi, I would, maybe. That is 
a podcast that we need to discuss doing. The Peak of Brother Yashi. Because I have I who have can we get on to talk Peak Brother Yashi with us? Like I don't know like, who who's we willing hate? to get dirty. Who, who who are we mad at that we want to have a discussion on Brother Yashi with? Because oh, 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 I, Oh, I don't want Matt here, Case. I want someone who wants to get into the muck with us. You, We're going to talk know, about some dying days El Dorado here. You know who, he, and he'll never do it, but the person that is honestly perfect for it is Chris Zellner, because Zellner would have been watching Voodoo Murders era All Japan, and I'm sure he's seen some El Dorado stuff, but I've avoided, like, there's nothing I avoid harder than, like, a 2006 all Japan six man with brother Yashi and Shuji Kondo. And I love Kondo, but I'll see like that stuff will pop up on my YouTube every once in a while. And I don't care if they're wrestling God, Jesus and Moses. I am skipping the brother Yashi six man from all Japan. Yeah. The, 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 that's why we had to get someone who appreciates, you know, the finer things in life, but yeah, no, like the, the, your big point about doi is like the thing that I think people should keep in, in context for this conversation. Like we're talking about them now, like, Naruki Doi pretty much took until blood generation to become anything. So I, I you know, just you know, I, I think I think 2022 Minorita was probably a better wrestler than 2002 Naruki Doi. I don't think that's uh really debatable, you know? I I it, it's something that like Minorita was a lot more complete and Doi was really injury prone in T2P. Like he was someone that it was that he didn't debut with original landing because he was injury prone. No, the the only memorable Doi T2P match is on the Absolute Amente show when he opens up. It's it's Genki and Susumu versus Doi and Takamichi Iwasa, and that's a really fun match. But there's not at least at least off the top of my head, I can't remember a lot of good Doi stuff in 2003. Doi is featured a lot in 2004, especially post split. But like you said, it's not until January 14, 2005, the start of Blood Generation, where Doi becomes Doi, and even throughout his career, you know, especially by himself, that's been a mixed bag. So I think on the whole, at least right now, and I'm living in the moment, I'm in it. I'm watching every show. I'm invested emotionally, but I, I think I like the future class more than I like T2P. Let me throw the class of 2016 at you. Bin K, Shun Skywalker, Hyo Watanabe, and Yuki Yoshioka. Those four guys in 2016 to 2017, do you think they were better, worse, or the same than the future class? You see, it's almost like different worlds in a lot of ways <laughs> you know because you you had different figures in those classes like in a lot of ways Binke was this Shoya Sato at that time because he was older than the rest of the group and it was something that they, they wanted they had plans from him from the start if you looked at how he was booked up until he won the Dreamgate, like they had a plan for him but you look at like Yoshioka took a while to get going like he was the rookie, like him and Katsumi Takashima were basically rookies in that 12-1 2016 match. So even at like this point, and like Hio had that good match, but he was very, very spotty. Like he was someone that could go months without having a decent one. And Shun, we were always praying wouldn't die. I don't have, <laughs> I, I don't have that fear with Takuma Fujiwara. I don't have the fear that Takuma Fujiwara is this. Shun Skywalker, I was like, oh god, that all he needs to do is bust his head open in this bad mask that he can't see out of. You know, like like those were like things that were happening here, and those were 
and, and I think I'm t- I've talked myself into future over 2016 at this point in time. If we want to talk about class of 2016, six years in 2022 versus wherever future will be in in 2027, then we can have a different to- conversation there. But at this point in time, given where they are in their state of careers, I think future is more complete. I sat through a lot of, of W2N matches and they were fun. They were scrappy, but it pales in comparison to what I feel like this class has put out. If you're a newer fan and you haven't seen the first year and a half of Shun Skywalker's career, words can't really do justice to just how terrifying it was. I mean, it was a constant battle of life and death, basically from debut until he did the All Japan Junior League with Mochizuki. And then after that, it seemed like he finally was granted some stability in his life. I will say in defense of the class of 2016, Ben K is really good off the bat. And if you look at his 2017, he's a guy by that year. He's a big part of Maximum. I think I have, I was looking at my spreadsheet earlier. I think I had 10 Ben K matches at four stars or higher in 2017, which for a first year wrestler, that's outstanding. Now I should note before he left for Mexico, I had eight for Takuma Fujiwara. So he was on his way to beating that and then some, but the high end there, no pun intended, the high end with Ben K is very, very strong. Skywalker, I don't think was as good as an Ishin or a Minorita. Hyo certainly wasn't. Yoshioka wasn't given the opportunities. So in terms of Dragon Gate, I think those are the strong classes in terms of overall depth with T2P and with the class of 2016. I have down in my notes, and these could be totally off of your board. They're not really in my ballpark, but I think people point to 2001 OVW and to 1984 New Japan with that class of Liger and Chono and All Caps Akira and Hashimoto and Muto and uh, Takuma Sano, which I didn't realize he was also in that class. That's obviously no no class on earth is going to match the star power of that. I have not seen enough of their early work to comment on where they were at in 84, 85, even really through 87 or 88. There's just not a ton of footage of them out there. We're, we're lucky to be living in a time period where we have almost everything Takuma Fujiwara has ever done. We can't say the same for early Hashimoto, early Mudo, early Chono, etc. Yeah, and it, it, it's something that like, when you look at like the OVW class of 2001, also in comparison to future, you're talking about Brock Lesnar coming in as a NCAA champion, Shelton Benjamin, who I don't know if he's an NCAA champion. I know he was an All-American at the very least. And you had like these people that, you know, had a lot of athletic experience at a different level than the majority of the Dragon Gate future class. I mean, honestly, the only person that would come close to sniffing any of like the pre-wrestling pedigree as those OVW people would be Shoya Sato. And that's something that would be like, oh, he might have been like an equivalent of that from what I understand is, oh, he would have been like a NCAA qualifier, basically. So it's it's very hard to really compare him. And for like and for like people that are more in tune for like that era of New Japan and OVW, it'll be interesting to see their thoughts. But I think it's something where like when you like talk about like eras and you talk about like these classes, it's also there is some context I feel like that like can help and hamper them. And I think like the OVW class of 2001, I mean, I don't know if you would call that talent scouting. I don't know if I would call it really the, I I guess some development, I mean, given where that was at that time, but 
Th- yeah, there's absolutely, it's a fascinating there's absolutely question. development there. Not not to defend OVW, but you've got Lesnar and Shelton, and then you've got Cena in that class, who, you know, again, big star. I don't know if he was necessarily great in 2001 to 2002. Same with Randy Orton. And that is ultimately the point here. If if you think I'm off base, if you've somehow lasted 40 minutes and you think I'm way off base, uh, and you think I, I, I really don't mean this as an exercise in being a homer for Dragon Gate. I just, I thought about it when I was watching these shows, watching not only the debut of Nagano, but seeing the fact that these two Fukuoka shows, to me, were largely based on Ishinihashi and Mochizuki Jr. I certainly thought they had the best output of anybody throughout the weekend. It really hit me that because we are inundated with footage and we are beat over the head with content and there's this video and there's this streaming service and there's this gif and there's all of these things that it was really important that we take a step back and we go over the last 11 months there is a special amount of talent that has come through here and we've seen it already not all of them are going to work out there will be guys, whether it's a Minorita or a Fuda or God forbid it's a Fujiwara or an Ishinihashi, there are going to be more guys that fall by the wayside. They get hurt, they leave, they get cycled down the card, whatever it may be. They're not all going to be there. But in this 12-month period, I'm not sure there's ever been more wrestlers for a single company that have gone 0 to 60. That is what we are talking about. The raw foundation of a wrestler into something special i'm just not sure i've ever seen it i don't know if there's a ring of honor year with a number of particularly young wrestlers that all took a step up you could certainly make the argument that generation next filled that void to some degree i would listen to that argument if there is something that i am missing voices of wrestling discord open the voice gate channel please let me know i think this is a super interesting discussion and if i'm off base i could be forgetting something obvious if i am please let me know but i am really struggling to think of a company that cultivated young talent better over a year-long period than Drangate has done over the last year. And I think with that, it's probably good to get into these Hakata shows, especially considering, I I mean, you're absolutely right about how these stories kind of felt like that. It was a lot of stuff building up Corkin with some stuff on the back burner with uh, High End and Zebrats and the dream gate at dangerous gate, but uh, let's just get right into it. I guess uh, they were on the 21st. They'll be up on the network until the 28th. We kind of have been talking about the big takeaways in a way for the last half hour case, but what were your other big picture thoughts coming out of the Hakata double hell double header? I think Ishinihashi is a great wrestler. I think Mochizuki jr is really exciting. And I think Yoshioka versus Ata, if they choose to could be a really great match. Yeah, and, and I think that those were kind of my big takeaways a lot as well, other than I, I do have a question that when we get, when we start talking about the high-end and Zebrat stuff that I'd like to get your opinion on, I'm just going to start uh, running through the cards case. Uh, we did have two future matches before each of these shows or one for each of the shows. Any takeaways you had on these whatsoever? No, I, I it's, it's a future match. You know, the kids work hard. I think they're talented, and I can't wait to see what comes next for them. Yeah, it, it's something that it, I hate to say it, unless there's something like physically distinguishable about them. It's just it, we're not even getting like tweets about about who it is anymore at this point. Like you have to be listening very, very uh, certain or very closely and have a good memory, which sometimes I don't 
to get that. But I mean, I thought both of them were pretty solid. Let's get into the afternoon show. The afternoon opened with Natural Vibes versus Unaffiliated. It was Big Boss Shimizu and Jason Lee versus Eita and Takashi Yoshida. And Eita got the got the win stealing it after a pineapple bomber, the pen on Jason Lee. Fun finish. You know, it, it's a bit of a daunting task to look on paper and see Eita and Takashi Yoshida teaming with one another because that just, that reeks of Antios. And this is a company that I, I think has made an honest effort to move away from anything that feels like Antios. These two together stirs up some bad memories, but here they're working, you know, Yoshida basically working as a straight baby face and Eita continuing to do his... Uh, Raven meets Pero Guayo Jr. act that he's doing. And, you know, f- fine little opener. I, I really get excited whenever I see Ata and Jason Lee in the ring with one another. I've said on this podcast a number of times, I really want to see those two team at some point. I want those guys to be in the same unit because their chemistry against one another is so strong that I can't imagine it not being otherworldly when they're together. Yeah, it's something that, like, the story of this match was, it started off with this great Jason and Ata exchange. You know, it shows the chemistry that we've, that, as you said, we've known they've had for a long time. It went straight into tagging out Yoshida and Shimizu doing Roma knuckle locks and working that. It was that kind of vibe of a match. But I, I thought it was fun. The finish really was the highlight, and it's really interesting. Yoshida is such an odd piece that now he's attached to Ata kind of right now. And I'm like, oh, no. Didn't you listen to Jay? You could be teaming with Kakuda right now or back of Hoho, but that's the world he's in. I went three and a quarter. I thought that this was perfectly fine. Hey, two and three quarter star opener for me. Eh, fine, fair enough. I can't debate that either. Uh, Natural Vibes remained a team for the next match. KZ, UT, and Strong Machine J versus Ultimo Dragons, Asumu, Mochizuki, and Madoka Kakuda. Kakuda got the win over UT with the snap pile driver. In case, let me tell you, this was your rec league match of the night. They were playing touch football out there. Interesting. I like this match quite a bit. I, I think Kakuta's in a zone right now. I am continuing to enjoy his output every time I see him. I actually thought this was one of the stronger matches on this show. I just thought this was kind of dry, other than Kakuta. Like, honestly, it was like KZ and UT. Like they, it, it was something with Hakata sometimes. One show... Full effort. The other show, you're taking a little bit easy. I felt like it was very clear of that. You had Ultima, who doesn't do anything ever. And really, so I, I, would... I've, got, I've got an Ultima question for you. Okay. My Ultima antennas are up. I feel very much like I did it this time in the summer of 2019. There's a moment in this match. KZ climbs the top rope. I forget who's on the mat. I think at this point it is Madoka Kakuta. KZ goes for the KZ time. He misses. And there's a hot tag to Ultimo Dragon. KZ is on the mat, writhing in pain. Ultimo starts to get into the ring. He pulls back. He has the cloud crap for he has the crowd clap for him. And he takes so long to get in the ring before he eventually touches KZ. KZ had to sell this missed frog splash for such a long time. And I can't tell. If Ultimo Dragon is a brilliant pro wrestler who has been vocal about how much he hates these clap crowds and is making sure that there is some sort of noise when he enters the ring, I can't tell if he's brilliant or if he is an asshole for making KZ sell that long. Why not both? (laughs) I mean, honestly, why not both? Yeah, it's just something that, like, 
this kind of match was just very hard for me to get into, especially when I could see the gears moving. I was like, okay, all right. It wasn't bad, but it was something that, I mean, it went 11 minutes and 36 seconds case. Something uh, yeah, that did not, did not need to happen. I enjoyed it. Uh, strong finish. Kakuta really chopped the uh, the life out of UT and then hit him with the pile driver for the win. I went three and a half on this. I thought this was a very fun match. This is going to be an interesting show. I was three flat. Okay. Yeah. Well, what about this uh, this next match? All right. Next match is the debut of Fukuoka native Kaito Nagano. Kaito Nagano just turned twenty, and he is from he is from Fukuoka natively. He is one hundred and sixty two centimeters. 65 kilos. He's from Izuka City and Fukuoka Prefecture. And he faced Kai in his debut match. And Kai was able to take care of him as one would suspect in eight in eight minutes 56 seconds with a lariat. So now it's time for the Kaito Nagano corner. Boy, he loves drop kick. Oh, it is just fantastic. I I, I thought this was a really, really fun debut match. I left with a lot of questions about Nagano, but it really made me want to see a lot more of him because I thought his performance in this match in particular was rather thrilling. Yeah, it's something that, like, there's a bigger conversation that we'll get into when we're talking about other Nagano stuff here, but came off as the plucky babyface, has nice drop kicks. They tunneled in on that being a good part of his offense. It's going to be interesting to see how he acclimates like this, but it was something that, you know, Kai, for like the debut match, like this was exactly why I wanted it out of this. I thought this was a blast. I thought that for Kaito Nagano, for what they were wanting to do, or like what you can see what his role is going to be in comparison to like Mochizuki Jr., you know, to his immediate senior, he's going to have the more traditional route here. And taking the traditional route here, I thought this was a stronger, I thought this was a stronger debut match than Fujiwara's was in November. To be quite honest, I know I said that really fast, as so I can't get in trouble for that case. But yeah, I thought that Nagano, I got more of an impression of Nagano from his debut than Fujiwara. Oh, I completely agree with that. I the you know I, I and I've said it before, but the the only person that saw Fujiwara the way he turned out to be from the jump, at least in our bubble, was Alan Farrell because I was losing my mind over Fuda that night, and Alan, smarter man than all of us, said pip pip nah. Takuma Fujiwara is going to be the guy, and and that is why he is the man that he is. It, I do want to get into this Nagano match a little bit. There's there's a few different things that I wanted to mention from this match, a few spots. So if you haven't seen it, it's drop kick after drop kick after drop kick to start. I don't know how many he did, but it seemed like a great rib and also just a great way to debut a guy to have him throw what seemed like a dozen drop kicks at Kai. And then Kai finally bounces off the rope. He hits a shoulder block and just obliterates him. And there's this great moment. It is a really great Kai moment where he finally just shoulder blocks this kid away after no selling all these drop kicks. He shoulder blocks him and then you see him wince in pain. And it was like, okay, all right, I, I can admit that that hurt a little bit. And then there's all of this stuff. Like I was just amazed at for a former Open the Dreamgate champion, a guy who was the, you know, the head of this promotion a month ago at how much he gave Nagano here. There's the moment where Kai's got him in the half crab. He turns it into the STF. I thought that might be the finish. Nagano reached the ropes Same. there. Kai gets chopped a few times. He hits him with a violent DDT as a comeback. Stalemate. Okay, both guys down. Nagano makes a full comeback. He gets a huge missile drop kick off the top rope. And I, I checked, I, I searched his name after this debut match. And there's a ton of photos and a ton of tweets of like, 
how about that missile drop kick? Like, okay, this kid busted out a high spot in his first match, and it was pretty awesome to see. And then it continues, and I'm I watched this match live. I watched the first half of the show as it was going on. And this match just kept going and going and going. Kai hits him with a German suplex and then a brain buster, and Nagano still kicks out. And then finally, the Lariats put him away. But I was pretty astounded at the fact that this match went eight and a half minutes. Like, this this was not a Young Lion exhibition match. This was a full-on wrestling match between a former Open the Dreamgate champion and a first-match rookie, and it was compelling throughout the entire time. Yeah, and it's something that... Like, the, the one thought that... Or like, the one spot that you didn't mention that I really loved was Kai potato-sacked him partway through. Like, after, like, the, the drop kicks and the wince, they went to the outside. And he basically just, like, shoulders him into the corner and, like, the turnbuckle and, like, tries to, like, crumple him against it. I was like, all right. The, the, the thing... The thing coming out of this match is Nagano is plucky as all get out. That is a great thing for a guy of his size and his look. And, oh... They're going to have a lot of fun with how this guy's going to be turning into to a bunch of knots. Because later on the same day, he got twisted again. And it, I think that's going to be a really, it's going to be very compelling. I think that's going to be an easy thing for the crowd to latch on to is him and like these really gruesome looking submissions and fighting his way out like that STF. Like that was a nice STF. Like I completely bit on that. As Mike Spears DM me earlier today. He said, quote, I am going to be really interested in your Nagano thoughts because my gut reaction projection might be weird even for me, end quote. Are you ready to give that now? Do we need to hold off? I'll give that now, and I'll further uh, illustrate my point as we go on here. Uh, so first and foremost, I thought his he had a similar profile in his first match, at least like the way he was wrestling. Reminded me a lot of uh, Takiro Yamamura. Like it not with like the Fishman Buster or the Stardust Plus that he did, but like the way the way that Yamamura wrestled as a rookie, it kind of reminded me of that in a way. But that's not who I think he reminds me the most of. Case that's not what comp I'm throwing. I, I don't want to throw a comp on him after really what we saw at Fujiwara. To be quite honest, that it took a little bit there. But the person he reminded me the most of, Case, pre punch perm Tomonaga. I need you to explain yourself because I don't know what Kaito Nagano did to you, but that's not very nice. No, I, I said pre-punch perm for a reason. <laughs> for a reason. And that is that I'm trying to get his 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 actual name right for when he was, but before he was punched, he's been punched for so long. It's it just was Chihiro Tamanaga, right? Chihiro Tamanaga. That's what I thought. I had written down Chihiro Tamanaga. I was like, no, it's Chihiro, like Chihiro Hashimoto, that can't be his name. But yeah, no. Ch so Chihiro... Tomonaga was known as like this rookie that can never get out of the dojo. He was called the, the world's famous, most famous dojo student. But he had this extraordinary crowd connection and pluckiness that when the Doi Darts match happened and he came out here and had a four-star match in his rookie match, it was something that was like, oh, wow, this guy is kind of such an outlier, but he's going to be so plucky and he has the crowd connection here that no matter what, as long as he's able to draw upon that, because I think Nagano, just because he's, I, I, I don't want to be mean to him, he's a little bit dweeby in a way. I, I, I think that's not, I don't think that's very nice to say, but he, he, he it, it's something that when you compare him to Riki Hashi, you know, I, I think that like in comparison, <laughs> you, you, you get what I'm saying here, Case? Like he's a he, he, he's like Ducky from 16 Candles in a way. You know, he's Sean Cryer. He's a drunk crier of the class. 
it, does my point make any more sense to you? Well, you're not you're not wrong because he reminded me of a dweeb. He just reminded me of a different dweeb, and that is the fact that throughout this evening and then the Ben K match the following night, I felt like this man was giving Kotoka, as the young kids would say. I I thought his movements, I think his build, I think his ceiling, which in the grand scheme of things is actually pretty high, very reminiscent of. Uh, kind of blah era into maximum era Kotoka. And, you know, that's a great career. I mean, Brave Gate champion, Triangle Gate champion, Kotoka. Yeah. Beat beat Akira Tozawa for the Open the Brave Gate championship. Now, was I angry when that happened? Yes, but it turned out to be a very very good run, so I got over it. (laughs) Let it be stated that the two current hosts Open the Voice Gate are not happy that Eita, or not Eita, sorry, that that Akira Tozawa lost to Kotoka for the Open the Brave Gate title back in 2015. That was was a tough one. I think think that was one where, like, some people... At the Ultimo Show in Kobe World this year, we're very unhappy with some finishes and very unhappy with some results. And I get it because I have been there before where ultimately Kotoka beating Tozawa in a three-way match. I think it was I think it was Kotoka Super I think it was Kotoka Super Shisa and Akira Tozawa. I believe that was the three-way that Kotoka won. Ultimately, it meant nothing to the promotion, but I was not a happy camper seeing that result. No, not at all. So I either pre-punch perm or actually we're, at, we're talking about the two people who were in the punch perm of Puesas right here. Okay, that's this is true. One of the uh, <laughs> one one of the first Drangate shows that I watched from start to finish that June 2014 Cork and Hall show, and boy was I treated to a special evening that night. <laughs> hey, I I mean it was what a time 2014. But yeah, no, it's something that like the 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 key for him is going to be crowd connection like the drop kick is going to be the thing that's going to like pay the bills here but really it's going to derive into that crowd connection because i think he has it and we we saw i i mean even the match of binke was also in fukuoka we we can see that the, that the strategy of 2021 where they were like okay we have nagoya that's sbk and ut but we're really going sbk there and we're talking about oh we're going up to the hoku region that's yamato's home region but Look at all these new young guys that are from this region as well. Having someone in far western Japan and seeing the crowd connection there is a strong thing to have. Like that's something he'll always have in his back pocket. It was an incredibly strong debut. I thought this this Kai match was really strong. We'll talk about what he did uh, on the evening show and then the next day in a little bit. But if this is this is one of those matches. If you have not gone out of your way to watch Kai versus Nagano. I think it's worth your time. Uh, you know, it's it's an exciting debut match. It's a guy who, you know, who knows how he ends up, but I, I am very excited to see him hopefully on the Corkin show in September and hopefully making the rounds on a pretty regular basis because I, I was very excited from what I saw from him here. Yeah, no, I thought that this was really strong. I, I was three and a half on it. This was my, I, I had one match higher on the afternoon show, but there was nothing I enjoyed more on the show than this match. I am in the exact same boat. All right, then we're going to the pre-intermission match. It was M3K versus Unaffiliated, Masaki Mochizuki, Yazushi Kanda, and Mochizuki Jr. versus Don Fuji, Ginki Horiguchi, and Ishinahashi. It was a Fuji inside cradle on Kanda after a John Woo tease. And as we were saying earlier, the story of this match, Jr. and Ishin, they have something going on here. This would be my match of the night. I was just in love with this from start to finish. You know, Ishinihashi hits the ring. 
He grabs Mochizuki Jr. by his shirt. They get separated. The bell rings. They go right after one another. And their chemistry is just so strong. I I talked at length when we were previewing Kobe World. I said, you know, God, I I just I I, I hope M3K does what I think they're gonna do. They just have to make sure that they separate Mochizuki Jr. and Strong Machine J because that's a real liability. And of course, that turned out to be the highlight of that match. And it's it's crazy to me that with Strong Machine J and with Ishinihashi and Mochizuki Jr., it's like these guys bring out the best in one another. And they're they're young guys. I mean, I'm sure they've wrestled in the dojo hundreds of times at this point, but still to do that when the lights are on, do that in front of an audience, it's really impressive. It's it's really weird to see two guys in their early 20s with you know less than a year experience you pair them off and you go yes okay you guys go kill it and they continue to do that yeah and it's something that goes back to like the whole second generation idea like that's going to be such a good threat for these guys throughout the the remainder of their career so it's fantastic to see there and, and it really was like the highlight here ishan coming in here he's lost a visible amount of weight he looks like the best shape of his career at this point, I mean, one year in, but best shave of his career, he's looking great. Nice haircut. It's something where I made fun of the singlet when it first came out there. But he's kind of like living up to the singlet and we're like, oh, if he's starting to take himself seriously and is doing this sort of thing, Ishan fills out a bit. He's going to be like, he, he might not be Yutaka Yoshi, but we will have a good reason to like the color pink in wrestling after that. Well, yeah, I mean, we we need a reason to like it because Yoshi is nothing to celebrate, but... <laughs> it's interesting, you know, like these two in the ring, they, they provide an energy that I think is often missing from these Dragon Gate shows because, as we've talked about, this year reminds us so much of 2003 and the social dance era, and I, I don't know if laissez-faire would be the correct term, but there's there's not a ton of intensity up and down this card. It's really, you know, the the, the times we've seen it this year are primarily with Don Fuji against the rookies, which makes sense, that's a given, but... You know, with Yoshioka versus Eita, that match, I think, feels big. I like their interactions a lot, but it's not like that's incredibly heated. There's no hate there. Even last year with the pair of SB Kento versus Jackie Funky Kame matches, those weren't filled with hate. Those weren't matches that brought out rage in either guy. Those were intense matches. They felt really big. They felt like they belonged in a big venue, but they didn't have the same feel that Ishin and Mochizuki Jr. have, and I think it's needed. This this company right now needs a little bit of hate. They need a little bit of intensity. I hope they get it from other places on the card, because I think right now there might be a few guys that are a little too cool and a little too pretty. But for what they're doing, they're, they're not only doing a really good job of it, but they're filling a necessary void. So I'm really happy with the way this is going. Yeah, and especially considering that we are basically a month away from dangerous gate i'm glad to have these things because i mean the post kobe world malaise is such a thing here that the fact that there's something for us to sink our teeth into on an august and something that for sickos like us case you know i mean it's two rookies going at it like this like this is this is the stuff we fiend for it, it, it it's something that i would like to see as you're saying like go around the the roster and and really just like inspire others but you know Who's to say that that will ever happen to be quite honest with this. But yeah, this was a whole lot of fun. It was something that, you know, having, I guess, Ishin and Junior as such like a dynamic, it allows people like Mochizuki to like play into the sports dad thing. And you have Fuji who's just ready to fight anyone. And the fact that he has a little bit of sumo pride 
you know, defending Ishin there. And Geeky Horikuchi's there for a good time. But, you know, this was this was a blast. I went three and a half on it. I'm the same rating, and I think you bring up a good point. It's not necessarily one that we have to have a big discussion about, but I think morale on this podcast could have been very, very low had this month not turned out the way that it did. But there was an August Corkin that I thought had a lot of strong stuff on it. I think we both really liked the Osaka show. And for Fukuoka standards, I thought these shows were very passable. So they've hit the ground running out of a very tough end of July. And that's really nice to see. That is that is needed uh, after what they went through in Kobe. Yeah, they have one more weekend left in the month, but they are definitely leaving August in a much better place, at least amongst two people than they came in on. In case you're talking about people that are maybe just a touch too pretty, well, this is my main event for the uh, for the day. Matt day show was D Courage versus Gold Class of Minorita and Kota Minora. Naruki Doi was not on the shows. It was a darkness buster on Minorita and. Case, I I, I, I just want to like jump in first here. And I, I had a question that like I'm not committed to, but it's something that I thought would be a a topic possibly. And, if, you know, if you're not feeling it, toss it straight back here. Should we be concerned that they are rerunning the Kobe World main event if you're Kota Minonora three weeks after? Because, I mean, they, this essentially felt like a rehash of something you would do to a build to a major match in a lot of ways. I'm not sure I would be concerned. I think this is just what's left for him. You either you either put him here or you put him in the opening match, and I think they have a little too much invested in him to do, you know, Minoru and Minorita versus Genki Horiguchi and Takashi Yoshida, let's say. This is the spot for him right now, and I'm okay with it because it just it it feels like there's such less pressure on the on the top of the card like this match to me was a pretty lighthearted affair and that was nice because throughout july after that cork and angle there was just it was just like a relationship that needed to end between coach manure and the dragon gate main event it was a bad boyfriend and girlfriend and, and we got through it and i think people are better off for it now and and we're gonna go our separate ways and everything's gonna be okay i just don't think there's another spot for manure right now unless they they you know, we're going to usher him into a program as sort of rehab, but it, it doesn't seem like they're going in that direction. Yeah, and it's something that I, I, I don't know. Like, this was a match that I thought overall was fine, but it was just kind of like after Jan- after July, it was very hard for me to get enthused in about it. Like, nothing was wrong. Nothing was bad about it. I liked the Diam and Minora stuff. We didn't get too much of those two really facing off in the buildup of Kobe World Weekend here, so I enjoyed that. But I, I guess, like, you're right. Like, there's just, it's something that unless they are really calibrating, I mean, unless Naruki Doi uh, is just, like, now back to full time, you're kind of in this holding pattern here. And you can't just, like, have him doing the old man, six man, these two with Ultimo. So it was just something that popped in my head. I, I have in my notes here, I really wish this match would have happened in March. I think if this happens... Right, like the yeah. March, oh, the, the March Cork and the March Kobe Saba Hall show. I think that's like a super heated match that we're both into. But you're exactly right. It was, it was like a uh, the 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 after effects of word. It was like shrapnel of the Kobe World main event. It was it, it, it was a little uncomfortable to watch. It wasn't bad by any means. I actually I thought the match was pretty good. But yeah, there's just a certain level of discomfort that I have watching Minora right now. I will say. 
there was a spot with Minorita and Dragon Daya here where it looked like Minorita basically hit a shoot Torbellino on Daya. Like he got hung up about halfway through and then sent Daya so hard into the mat. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> it, it, it's something that they have like a little bit there. But like, yeah, no, you take this match five months back and we're talking about threatening the spreadsheet. But for me right now in the world we live in, I went three and a quarter and it's very hard for me to rationalize going much higher. Yeah, I'm in the same rating as you are. And the main event for the day session was the complete complement of high-end Yamato, Benkei, Dragon Kid, and Kagatora versus the Z-Brats tandem of Shun Skywalker, Hyo, Diamante, and BB Hulk. Hyo jackknifes Yamato to get a win after a spear misfire from Benkei. In the post-match, Yamato and Ben face off. There's unhappiness. Shun doesn't seem particularly happy either. So they set up a tag match for the evening of Shun and Hio versus Yamato and Benkei. And, it, you, you know, this was an interesting uh, Atomico's match, especially considering the state of high end here. Like this was if there was something that was more storyline heavy on the show outside of Ishin and Mochizuki Jr., it was really this through line here. And I thought that they did a decent job here of building it up here, especially considering the fact that if there's going to be a turn, it's not going to be in Hakata. You know, so I think they kept the wheels running the way I'd wanted to. Okay, so it's a 12-minute match. I thought the first seven or eight minutes were a borderline disaster. I, I thought the chemistry was out of whack. I have there was just there was no flow to this match. It was really strange to watch a high level or a, what should be a high level Dragon Gate match that just doesn't hit in any way, shape or form. And then once they got to the finish, once they started building around Ben K, who I will continue to note is just doing such excellent work right now. It was a hot last three or four minutes, but boy, was it not that ahead of time. It was really, really strange to watch a match that I just didn't think worked in any sort of way up until the end where you got Ben running through guys, you know, a big double spear to Shun and uh, Diamante, uh, a huge shoulder block to BB Hulk, kind of his big spot that he loves taking against bigger guys. And then the end with Ben spearing Yamato by accident and Hio rolling up Yamato. All that stuff was very strong. It just took a long time to reach that point. It, it was something that like when they got to that point for what this match was trying to accomplish, it was exactly what you want it to be, but it took them so long to get to that point. Right, like it was something that, like, usually when I when they're like when there's like heels versus baby faces, you'll get a jump start and it'll be pretty much brawling. It'll be pretty loosey goosey here, but this was loosey goosey for a long period of time before, as you said, Binke turned it on. And when Binke turned it on, it actually added a lot of life to this match. And it, and as I said, for what they try to accomplish here for that last five, six, five minutes of the match, the last fifty percent of it, it did everything you could. For it, I could never give this match five stars for anything like this. But as a match that set out what it accomplished to, it took a while to get there, but I think it did. Good finish. I, I, I'm into this Ben K stuff, and it obviously continued on the second show. Yeah, I was three and a half on this, so I guess I actually was highest on the uh, debut on the show. I was at three and a quarter. That was really uh, a very generous three and a quarter. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, moving to the night session, we opened up with M3K and its entirety, Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, Yazushi Kanda, and Mochizuki Jr. versus Natural Vibes, KZ, Jason, Strong Machine J, and UT. It was the rare Mugen on UT from Susumu 
Mochizuki to win this match. And I thought that this was an absolute blast. I loved it. My match of the weekend, four stars on the dot. It is on the Drangi YouTube channel. I recommend you go watch it. This was everything I could have hoped for. This was Mochizuki Jr. crushing it. This was UT looking really good. This was Strong Machine J having a good night. This was Jason Lee countering some classic M2K moves, which just warms my cold, dead heart. I just thought this was an excellent eight-man tag. Yeah, and you even had like some weirdness, like Susumu and KZ like threatening to do pile drivers off the top rope or suplexing <laughs> yes, to the floor. There's, the, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. If you've watched one Susumu Yokosuka match, Susumu Mochizuki match, you know the spot. He meets the guy at the top rope and does the exploder off the top. And it it is for as much nonsense as I put up with in wrestling. I hate the way that Susumu does that spot. He always takes too much time. It looks totally ridiculous. This time he meets KZ on the top rope, and instead of teasing the German, he teases like a German suplex off the top rope, and then it looks like they're going to powerbomb each other like BJ Whitmer, Jimmy Jacobs style for a second, and it ends up with just that exploder off the top. But it is such a dramatic few seconds where you go, wait, are, wait why, are, why are they doing what they're doing? This looks really dangerous. I think they were bored. <laughs> very much that's a very realistic possibility i mean if we like look at these finishes that they have so mugen i can't remember the last time on tv that susumu mochizuki hit the mugen for the win uh big boss shimizu versus kaito nagano does this hyper rotated uh half crab and then eita kills D- daya with a totem killer on tv for like the first time in years I think people were bored and just decided to pull out moves they haven't used in a long time on this show. And I appreciate it. I thought it was a lot of fun. That's great. This match felt very fresh. You know, it's it's a unique pairing. We haven't really seen a lot of M3K versus Vibes. The few times that we have seen it, I think they've been great. And this certainly fit that mold. Yeah, no, three and three quarters, match of the weekend. And yeah, for me, from, it was four flat. Yep. From there, we had what I wrote down as like my one little note on this match. A tight little number. Tight little number. Minor, uh, Kota Minora and, and Minorita, or as I have them written down in my notebook, Mino slash Rita versus High End's Dragon Kid and Kagatora. It was the R301 on Kagatora. And this was a short little fun match, a- a- enough that my only other note was I love Dragon Kid and Kage together. Would like to see them as a possible Twin Gate team. Did not like this as much as you. Thought this was arguably the low point of the weekend. Just never, never found its way with me. I, I mean, it lasted for, what, six minutes? It was, it was eight not, flat. Yeah, no, like, this might have been the shortest match in the building on the weekend here. I thought it just, I, I really enjoyed something. Like, like Kakatora, I mean, as much as, like, we'll say, like, how motivated he is or isn't, not much going on with him, and I thought he was really strong here. Did not do it for me. Can't point to a specific thing that I didn't like, just didn't like the whole thing. Fair enough. I was three and a half on it. But I'm also a sucker for, I think, really short matches, too. So <laughs> That is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would write a list of my favorite matches that are less than seven minutes. Uh, speaking of a match that actually was less than seven minutes, case, uh, Kaito Nagano starts his singles match series in the evening portion with Big Boss Shimizu, with Shimizu submitting him. It's a basically like a lion tamer that he basically crunches the poor kid's body. He calls it the Kamiare Cohen Maylock. And how do you feel about now veteran Shimizu doing the rookie matches, Case? 
oh, I think he's in a perfect spot in his career to do it. He's been around nine years now. He's a bigger guy. This is one of the many uses of Shimizu that feels fitting and that feels appropriate. I did not think this match was as strong as the Kai match or the Ben K match that would follow of the three Nagano matches. I thought this was the weakest, but by no means was it a bad match. Yeah, no, I thought this was weaker than the other ones. I just really enjoyed the idea of Shimizu now being in that veteran role. I thought that that was kind of cool. I was three and a quarter on it. You know, I thought it was fun. Is, was there a, a Shimizu versus... The, I think there was a Shimizu versus Hayakawa match from last there December. Was one. Yeah, I really liked that. I, I, I really liked those Hayakawa singles matches, which God feels so long ago. Those high account singles matches. Takeover? Yeah. That oh my god, that's right. He doesn't do that anymore. Oh, what a missed opportunity. You're, oh, okay. Uh, uh, other than the Kai <laughs> match, um the the Kai match which Kai beat him up and then had Hayakawa pin him. I hated that. I hated that so much. I hate that finish. This Don't show do that. after he won the title. You have to make that. That's an important point oh, there. Awful. I hate that so much. I Gabe did that finish a few different times, and I just, it's the fucking worst. Other than other than that, I really liked all of those Hayakawa singles matches, and the Shimizu one might have been the best of the bunch. Yeah, no, so I'm real. I, Shimizu, like, if anyone's looking a little dweeby on the, uh, on the rookie side, s- send them the Big Boss. It, it always ends up being a lot of fun. Uh, the pre-intermission match was Zebrats versus uh, unaffiliated veterans, Kai, Hulk, and Diamante versus Ultimo, Don Fuji, and Ginky Horiguchi. Ginky ate the first flash in 10 minutes and 8 seconds. This was, to me, other than the Ultimo versus Diamante stuff, this was the touch football match of the weekend. This was the worst match on the, on the, of the weekend. I, I, I actively disliked. Hard for me to dislike anything with Ultimo and Diamante on opposing sides, but outside of that, this was a whole bunch of nothing. Yeah, um, my notes. Uh, Ultimo sold the leg eventually. At least we got some Monte in the Rec League match just wrote. Not great. Two and a half stars. I wrote, I only enjoyed the Lucha. Two and a half stars. There we go. And then the semi-main event uh, built up from the afternoon show. High ends, Yamato and Benkei versus Shun Skywalker and Hio. And uh, the finish. So basically, uh, Yamato and Ben started getting into it. Uh, basically, Shun pulled Ben into a go to hospital too. Looked like there was going to be a whole lot of discord. And then Zebrats made it two on one and Ben lurking on Yamato. They, they held him up for the spear, but instead, Ben spe- speared Shun. And then there was the Frankensteiner of the Almighty on Hyo to get the win. So afterwards, Ben did a shouting promo of which <laughs> it ended with him staring down the camera for an uncomfortably long period of time. I love bit I love Weirdo Binkay. Ben is so weird. And we we had this discussion a lot in the the early days of the pandemic where Ben would show up looking like a different human. On every single show, he is, from all accounts we've been told, a truly weird human being. He is doing phenomenal work right now, though. I didn't think this was a great match. I thought the finish was great. I thought it was executed really, really well. And I will ask you the loaded question, what what comes next? Are we sure Ben is locked in with high end? I I, I felt like, to use another uh, term that the, the kids use, I felt like it was a little sus. 
I, I right now am leveraging and having some put options on Zebrats turns class of 2016. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, it, it, it's something that it, the character that Ben is showing by being his true self, like, that's what we've learned here. Ben just needs to be his true self, listen to battle rap, and, you know, Jess or Wildly and just be bizarre. You know, like, what if this was the Ben we saw as Dreamgate champion, Kate? That would have been fascinating. I mean, I, I think it might know, not have worked. It might not have worked, but it amused me at the very least. It, it, it might have been a weird case of too much. It might have been what we go. Hey, Ben, settle down. A little less of that. <laughs> Just I appreciate the effort, but a little less of that. Uh, it, it could have very easily been one of those things because his intensity is at a 10 right now. And I, I think it's working. I, I, I'm with you. You know, I really think him and Hyo and Shun together is a combination worth exploring. I think there's a lot of potential with those three, with Hyo being the mic guy, with Shun being the super worker, and with Ben showing the intensity that he's been showing. I want to see that. And then you throw in Diamante, you throw in Hulk or whoever else rounds out that group. I, I don't anticipate Hyo and Diamante being separated. I think from what we know about their relationship, those guys are going to be traveling together as either baby faces or heels. But I, I think those guys are locked at the hip for now. It's those just guys a matter might of, be in each other's weddings at this point. <laughs> they might marry each other. <laughs> it, it just seems like those guys are attached. Um, and it's just a matter of filling out, you know, the extra spaces with guys who aren't in the class of 2016. After that, I continue to think that's the direction they're going. Yamato is l- maybe eating a spear at the September Corkin. That certainly seems like a realistic possibility. I don't think this high-end story is over, and I don't see Ben being a babyface much longer, even with the hug to Yamato. Yeah, and as I was saying, like they weren't going to do the turn here, but for what they had to do to get to the turn, perfect. Completely. Yeah, no, this this was this was a good angle. I, I know there are some people in the Discord that liked this as a match way more than I did. The match didn't do a ton for me, but the finish got over everything that it needed to get over. You know, it, it looks like Ben is gonna take out Yamato. Instead he takes out Hyo, or he takes out Shun rather, Frankensteiner on Hyo. There's the finish. Clean, uh intriguing, very suspenseful, good stuff here. Exactly this kind of stuff we've been screaming for from this venue for the last two and a half years case it's really the first extended program that we've seen from ben since he won the Dreamgate, because he was you know the the undefeated stuff was really hot but you look back at that Dreamgate run and he wrestles yamato and then he wrestles mochizuki and then he wrestles yoshino before losing to doi and he was doing the weird stuff where he was teaming with Shun and they weren't in a unit and Shun was losing. And I, I thought that story was messy. I didn't really think that did Ben any favors. And then you look through, you know, largely the complaints we've had about Ben K was he doesn't seem motivated. He's not really going anywhere. He's a guy that is kind of here now to lose a Dreamgate challenge once a year. And I still think that is where he's out on the roster but he's at least doing it with a little more pep and a step this time around. I, I like the work that he's doing a lot here. It is certainly since he lost a doy at the end of 2019, uh, to me, the most energized that he's looked. Yeah. And it's something that if he's showing this weird charisma now, like I don't think it's going to ever cure his inability to really do the mic presence that, that they would want him to do. 
but it's giving him a lot there. It's giving him a lot of life here, and it gets it makes him that like if he's being this weird when they're when it's defocused on him, that's going to be a good sign, you know. I mean, because how much would I mean he was like the biggest guy who could disappear at any moment, and now I think like he's it's impossible for him to do. And I think that's really cool. Completely, yeah. No, this is good stuff. The main event of Hakata, there are two shows and across Fukuoka was a Dreamgate build match. It was D-Courage and Kakuda teaming up against Eita, Takashi Yoshida, and Ishin Ahashi. Look at Ishin in the main event and looking excellent in it. It was the totem killer on Daya to win, and he nearly, like, they were checking on Daya after the match. I looked afterwards. He wrestled the next night. It seems like he's fine. But for people who don't know, the totem killer isn't done a lot because it's a wheelbarrow German suplex hold that often the momentum gets you going so fast that it turns into Crunch City. And boy, was Daya a crunch rap at the end of this. To explain it in layman's terms, this looked fucked. This was a scary finish. Uh, a, a good way to close out this weekend. I, I looked at the card before I started watching it. I saw Ishinihashi in the main event. And I started rubbing my hands together. I said, oh boy, this is going to be good stuff. Big opportunity for him. Got to be the first main event that he's ever worked. Uh, at least the first main event where he had any noticeable presence. I thought he was great. I thought this was a really fun match. Kakuta showed up. Eita showed up. Ihashi showed up. I'm very bullish on the Dreamgate stuff right now. I think that match is going to be great. And the young guys played their roles to perfection here. Yeah, uh, Kakuta, you know, in his first real weekend as D-Courage and Kakuta, boy, did that, giving him something to do, he looks like the wrestler that he was before injury, you know, it, it's awesome, and Ishan stepping up, really, I mean, main eventing here, and yeah, he is someone that normally, if it wasn't going to be like this kind of match where you needed Daya or Kakuta to eat the fall to build up Eita for this, he was the obvious person if it was going to be a babyface win to take the fall here, but he looked awesome here. My only complaint here, Yoshida, a little bit too much Antios uh, Goonie for me. He was just a little bit too much of a stooge in this match, and that just brings up bad memories for me personally. But I, I thought this was excellent. You know, building for a match that's a month away, this is the kind of stuff, like, I know you're saying like it's not Blood Feud now, but this is the kind of stuff, like, on the outset, if we build towards the Blood Feud, I'll look back on this and go like, yeah, no, the really sick uh, trios match I had, Ishinahashi in it that built up this match here. I, I I enjoyed it. I went three and three quarters. Yeah, about three and a half. I I agree with your points on Yoshida. I mean, that's a pretty jarring main event team of Eita, Yoshida, and Ishinahashi with one another. But you're exactly right. I mean, my big complaint when Yamato won the Dreamgate belt last year was not that he beat Shun, which you know, I again, I, I understand why they did what they did, but it was a deal where Yamato won the Dreamgate belt. And then we were constantly in this position of, okay, what now? Like, what is going to come next? And it seemed like the obvious thing was going to be, okay, well, we'll do Yamato versus Minora at Dangerous Gate. And they got to that in the most convoluted way possible. And then you had Gate of Destiny was like, okay, what now? And then there was this weird BB Hulk build. And then you got through that and it was again, okay, what now? And it was the Ben K match that ended up being a great match, but the build to it just died such a horrible death. I will never forget the silence 
in Cork and Hall when they did high end versus high end and Jay and Hoho had to to cover for those guys because it was so eerily quiet in that building. There was just no momentum with Yamato's run. He had wrestled all the guys other than Minora and, you know, I guess other than Kai that he needed to wrestle. There were no fresh matchups and there was no, like I said, momentum. Yoshioka's a guy with plenty of fresh matchups who out of the gate has some momentum. This H match to me, and it seems like to you feels hot. I would love to know what other people think about it. I haven't seen a lot of conjecture about it, but the feud is still young. But to me, it's working. He's, he's hit all the right notes that you would want him to hit at this point in his run. And there seems to be long-term hope for this. So I, I, I'm very happy with this. I thought the main event was very good. And for a Fukuoka weekend, this was pretty solid. You know, I feel like I always operate on a heavy curve with these uh, Fukuoka shows, but yeah, no, this was very solid. And yeah, it, it's something that the way they set this up for this, like compare and contrast with like Minora. Minora was like the the person that actually should have had main event matches last year at Kobe World, not this year. And it was just like, oh, wedging him in that four-way match that like set up there and Yamato was already solidified enough that he didn't necessarily need the challenger, but it was just messy work with this. Whereas this was clean setting up this case. You know, I mean, KZ and Ata not in the Dreamgate picture for a while. They do, they are of a rank that it's like, yeah, no, they can call their shot, basically. They have a match. Now we start building to the Dreamgate. And it's something that Ata is at a point that, you know, do I still think that the Ata Bayface run should have happened over this year? That should be the reality we're living in. Yeah, I do. Like, that's just something that I think that this was, like, the window to do that in. But for someone to get, like, the first promoted defense against Yoshioka, I, I mean, unless you're immediately feeding him Yamato, I don't know how else you could really submit, can really set up a title run to come out of Kobe World, you know? And I'm perfectly happy with where everything's at at this point. Completely. Yeah, no, I, I think this is the right matchup to do. I think, you know, given what happened in King of Gate. I think Yoshioka versus Yamato is a match worth exploring, but I would really much... I mean, I feel like Dragon Gate would be in a great position if they could do Yamato versus Yoshioka, if they could hold off until Champion Gate of next year. Doesn't that feel like a really big Champion Gate match? Yeah, and it would be something that for Osaka, you know, especially that building, that they really haven't had, like, a special Dream Gate match for Champion Gate for years. So... Yeah, no, I, I mean, you, you might argue that you might be wasting, but I, 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 I see your logic there. Well, it's just, you know, I mean, you look back the last time Yamato was Dreamgate champion at a champion gate, he wrestled Takashi Yoshida, and that was that was a very bad weekend of wrestling. That was a very, that was a very poor set of shows. But, you know, you look ahead to Yoshioka. Okay, so he's at Dangerous Gate, he's got Eita. I think at Gate of Destiny, he's going to be wrestling Ben K. That puts you at final gate. I would love to see Yoshioka versus Shun. I don't have enough intel to say right now what I think is going to happen. We'll we'll figure that out because that could very realistically be a Yamato match, and that's big enough to fill that building with the restrictions that are in place. But if you can get through those first three defenses, maybe a cork in defense against Diamante, uh, if you get through that and you get into next year, you can hold off on him defending the title until March, and I think Yoshioka versus Yamato in that building would be huge. Yeah, I, I guess the only thing that I would push back on is they've already had two cork and defenses this year. They're not going to do a third of Diamante. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. I you could throw him in the October cork and uh, 
bubble and just say, yeah, knock yourself out. And I would be very much on board with that. Oh, oh, that's a match I want to see. It's just something that w- with like their tendencies, that like that's what that's the one I'm like, just ease up on the gas pedal just a little bit. Uh, there was one more match we wanted to talk about tonight. Can I make it one was... quick note on Diamante? Sorry to cut you off. Oh, yeah, please. Please do. We had a uh, we had talked on the show last week about how just given the nature of wrestling in Japan right now and, you know, Diamante wrestling. You know, he wrestled in 2019 in front of normal crowds, but he wasn't really good in 2019. I did ask for people to reach out if they if they lived in Japan and let us know kind of what the deal is with him. And we had somebody reach out and we're like, no, his merch moves. He's very over. The idea of a small building Dreamgate shot is certainly not out of the question. So just in case anybody was also wondering, uh, it appears to be two thumbs up for Diamante. Yeah, it's no question that he should have it. It's just... My mind is just scheduling wise, basically. But yeah, no, that was really cool to hear. I, yeah, you know, seriously, uh, fans who are going to shows, please reach out for to us. I, I, I love that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, that that I'm glad you jumped in here and added that on. So it was still in Fukuoka Prefecture on the next night. Uh, up on YouTube, we had Binkei versus Kaito Nagano. Case you made sure that I checked this one out, and boy, I am glad that we did. There's a few moments here where it looks like Nagano is going to beat Ben K. Like the the flash pin attempts and how late Ben K kicked out on a few of those, truly remarkable stuff. Yeah, and the way they set this up was really cool. Like Ben K not being tired from the previous match, saying I want another one, and then GM Saito, of course, his answer has always been, Oh, you want to have another match? Send in the rookies. So we got Kaito Nagano sprinting from the back, immediately doing his, his drop kicks, and it was just so much fun and yeah no the crowd was getting the crowd was buying into the near false too like what would happen if ben k just slipped up and did not get the shoulder up like it was <laughs> would have been fantastic <laughs> oh oh the the stuff that would have been written in the observer about that mike <laughs> oh god oh god don't get me i'm trying to be i'm trying to be in a good mood tonight you, you know i mean I, I gotta watch some good dragon gate after my flight from hell and i was like this but now you're making me think about the observer Rookie Kaito Nagano shoots on Ben K, defiantly pins him on a house show. <laughs> Nozawa smiles, knowing he's got a real shooter on the roster. <laughs> and then someone sees a photo of, of Kaito Nagano. You, you tell me I'm wrong after that M3K debacle. <laughs> no, no, no. And I'm just imagining like the reaction. It was like, I want to see the shoot. And they pull up the YouTube and they see. <laughs> it's a fucking string bean against Ben K. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the new era to hero Tamanaga. Toka. <laughs> it's a, uh, it, it's, it's a very good match. It's, it's worth your time. Cause again, it's under 10 minutes in it, but it doesn't quite feel like vet versus young lion. There's, there's some legitimate back and forth stuff there that I think is super compelling. So, so Nagano's three for three. Go watch his matches. Uh, that one is up on YouTube. That was the August 22nd show from some small town. I don't remember the name of, but a very, very good match. Worth your time if you haven't seen it. And I would also recommend uh, to put a bow on my recommendations. The opening match from the evening show in Fukuoka on August 21st. That match is on YouTube as well. That was M3K versus Natural Vibe. So just so people know when you look for it on YouTube, 822 Kakura Fukuoka. So I don't know where Kakura is, to be quite honest. But yeah, no, and it was something that was like really kind of interesting uh, uh, about how like how they that, that like so in the match before Ada stole the fall and it was like an eight minute match. And this one was five. It, it, it's it's a blast. It, it is a whole lot of fun. Case, there was one more thing 
at least I wanted to touch on this week because I've had a lot of people kind of reach out to me for uh, it was announced. And I believe this is this might have already happened by the time that you all will hear this, that Masato Yoshino is appearing for Gleet at Corken Hall on the 24th. And it will be the official there to present the G-Rex title, the winner against, I think that this is the Doki match, right? Against a lemon, right? I believe so. Yeah, for that match. But more importantly, the G-Infinity tag team titles, of which one, which is Bulk Orchestra and Stronghearts. So Masato Yoshino is coming to Tokyo for this case. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me and ask, like, why is this something you're concerned about? Like, Yoshino, is this, like, more turmoil here? And I wanted to get your thoughts on Masato Yoshino doing this appearance for Glee. Uh, yeah, so it is It is Lindemann versus uh, Dukai. It is the tag title match. And then Kento Miyahara is also on this show. So, boy, Glee better crack a thousand fans. That's going to be a tough look if they put 670 in Corkin. Yeah, yeah, but Yoshino showing up here. Do you read anything into this? I will say this, and it is, I, I will be especially careful with my words knowing that that this is going to take place hours after we record before most people hear this. In my seven years of covering Dragon Gate, uh, closer than almost anybody, there has never been a story that I have had less of a read on. I think there's something there. I don't know what it is. I stared at the poster of Yoshino all day the day it was announced, and I just I just don't know what to make of it. The thing that I can say for certain, it's it's the second domino in the Stronghearts Dragon Gate relationship to fall. You obviously go back to Takahiro Yamamura's return match. Dragon Gate paid for his rehab. He returned the favor. He and El Lindemann wrestled a very awkward exhibition match a few years ago in Kyoto. Ever since then, you know, there's no contact. You look at a guy like Kazuma Sakamoto, a notorious freelancer, never under Dragon Gate contract, went from Twin Gate champion one day to Gleet roster member the next day. And there is, you know, there, there's there's very clear tension and has been uh, since the Stronghearts split. You know, Shima's basically been Ben Wad from the company in the same way that Ultimo was when Shima had power. I really don't know what to make of this. I I think it's a huge deal symbolically. I don't think it's a huge deal otherwise, if that makes sense. But I could very easily be talked into this being a bigger deal than I think it is if you feel it is. I guess like 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 the, the thawing, like yeah, yeah, Yamamura, and then they've sent flowers for like Shima's like twenty fifth anniversary, which yes. is just uh, uh, Pre- President Keto sent flowers for Shima's 25th anniversary. He did not send flowers for Gamma's retirement show, which I I weirdly think is relevant to this matter. Yeah, that, that, that there's some stuff going on with that. But uh, the flowers to Shima, like I don't read much into that other than the point of thing that Gamma did not get flowers because that's just a professional thing. Like that's that's like a polite thing to do for that kind of thing. Like that's that, that's what you do for those sort of things. Like oh, it's a big thing here. Uh, well. I'm not close to them, but I'll send them flowers. You know, like like it's just kind of like proper form there, in my opinion. But my main my main thing about this, and this is the thing I kind of go back to about this situation, and this is the thing I can't square just in general, and it's something I haven't been able to square really over the last year, and that is in 2018 after the OWE Strongheart split, and President Keto came into the office. 
Originally, it was that he was going to serve out a set term here and basically, in a lot of ways, get things on, get things back on the rails and get things in a good position. And then when he was done, that he would be ready to hand things off. And the impression I got and the impression I got from people around the company was that out of nowhere in 2018, Masato Yoshino entered the picture as a likely person to like take up the baton after Keto. Fast forward three years, Masato Yoshino retires. And Case, I, I can only speak for myself, I'm surprised about how much of a ghost Masato Yoshino has been over the last year. Like, I, like of course, it was something that like he was in horrible shape. He got through that basically by the skin of his teeth, and he had to get his life together and like get better and heal up. And of course, he started his gym, which seems to be pretty successful out in Kobe, uh, Gym Speedstar. But there really has not been much from him in the Dragon system. And that's something I haven't been able to completely square. Kind of came out of nowhere to kind of become at least conferred to me as a possible successor, the person that will be likely the uh, leader of the promotion after retirement, to now doing an appearance for someone that there is still very, very frigid terms. Like there is some thawing with Shima and people, but it is not to any sort of point that it would be just uh, it'd be a tremendous shock, at least for me personally, if he showed up suddenly, you know, like it, it, it's something that some parts of it, I think, are getting better, but not the places where you'd need to get it better. If it oh, makes sense. no, I mean, there's no there's no coming do, back. Do, yeah, don't I don't think there's a strong hearts path to Dragon Gate in the works here. And if there is great, I think we all win. But don't don't go down that route. I wouldn't. I wouldn't advise it. In terms of Yoshino being a ghost, it doesn't surprise me. The info that, you know, was, I was going to say that we got, but the, the info that was shared publicly last year about just how bad of shape he was in, I'm not surprised that this is a guy who would rather just post up at a gym that, again, appears to be very successful uh, instead of basically having the Rio Saito role right. and wearing a suit and doing mic work and Kanazawa on a house show in front of 200 people. The fact that Yoshino was seemingly in the running for that position, I mean, really the way that I look at it from the info that we were told 2018, 2019, even early 2020, it seems like Rio Saito has the job that was being made for Masato Yoshino. Now that's pure speculation. I don't know that for sure. There's a lot of moving parts here that we don't have concrete information on, but the way things were set up to us from people that that would certainly be in the know to some degree, it seemed like that the current role that Saito's in could have been the role that Yoshino was in, but given the shape that he was in by the time he retired last year, I'm not surprised at all that we haven't seen him. I really, once he stepped away August 1st of last year, I, I, I haven't really expected to see him since. I don't know what opportunity would be there for him other just, than just to say hi and maybe move a few more tickets, but, you know, that hasn't happened. It's happening in Gleet, oddly enough. Yeah, and that's the thing that about him being a ghost and showing up there. Yeah, I just... I don't know. I just... I lean towards this being really symbolic more so than anything, and I, I'll be sure. happy to be wrong if... All of a sudden, Masato Yoshino is a Ledet employee, and he's on the office in the office of Gleed, and he and Shima are booking this promotion. Fine, I, I I will be off on this one. I just see it as a way to sell some tickets, in the same way that Shima teaming with Shingo a few months ago was, because it's not like you know we we have numerous on record reports of those two hating each other. 
once they teamed in May, it's not like we heard, you know, Shima and Shingo have been hanging out lately. They've been going to Starbucks. You know, they've been going to Gold's Gym together. That isn't the case. I think Gleed is desperate to put fans in Cork and Hall. And I think Masato Yoshino is a guy who has removed enough from Dragon Gate. And I don't think that's intentional on either party's behalf. I just think that's the way that the world has worked that, you know, Shima saw an old friend, offered him some money, and here he is. Yeah, and if that ends up being what this is, then, you know, that that's what I still personally think is the most likely scenario here. I mean, Ledette, I mean, they, they paid Kenta Kobashi to do these sort of things. They're not above throwing money at people to get people in the building or to add legitimacy here. It's just something that, like, when this came about, it was an interesting point. I had a lot of people reach out to me about this to get my kind of read on it and didn't really talk to you about it, Kiss. So I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to kind of give our thoughts at length and discuss it. Yeah, I, I I lean towards the fact that it is a way to sell tickets in the same way that Shingo was, in the same way that Kobashi was, in the same way that on this show, Dukai and Kento Miyahara are. I, I think it's it, it, it could be a very effective gimmick. It was certainly newsworthy in a time where Gleet needs all the buzz they can get. I don't look at it as anything more than that, but I'm more than happy to be proven wrong if uh, it turns out to be that Yoshino is is a full time employee, you know, developing talent and booking the promotion. And and the only counter to that I'd say is if he's doing that there on a company that's based in Tokyo, given his health and given the fact that I never heard if he actually got like surgery or anything, just like the work that he was doing beforehand. Like uh, I don't, the, I don't know. That's a good point. I don't know. He, yeah, yeah. just think about like the miles on the train to do that, and especially for someone that has on record talked about only being able to sleep for like an hour and a half in a warm bath to get comfortable. I just can't buy a reality that happens, and if that happens, then there's a lot more questions, like you were saying. Yeah, because the the way the Saito position has been laid out, I just don't see how that would be beneficial for Yoshino's health, so... Again, I you know there's there's a lot of stuff that I think you and I have questions on in terms of the backstage structure and what might have changed. That will be stuff that unfortunately, unless unless we catch the right person on the right day, and I don't even know who that person would be, that stuff we might learn only years from now. But it seems like there was a change in direction in the backstage structure, and whether that was Yoshino taking himself out of the running, whether that was them changing their minds and moving towards Rio Saito, I do not know. But that appears to be where we're at. And Yoshino, who at one point, you know, we we were straight up told was primed to take over President Kido's position, is now completely out of the picture, and Rio Saito is the one that appears to be gaining backstage power. Yeah. It, it, it's a fascinating story. It'll be something that, at least for me, knowing that it takes pulling teeth to get me to watch Gleet, I, I, I will turn on YouTube to see Masato Yoshino. <laughs> well, like, how can't I at this point? We could look very dumb by the time most people listen to this. Oh, I did fine. not, I did not realize that show was what it was, and so it will be a very interesting morning when I wake up. I look forward to following along live and figuring out if there's anything more to this Yoshino stuff. Absolutely. So. Looking at the schedule to close out uh, close out August, they are in the home base. They are in the friendly confines of Kobe Sambo Hall on Saturday. And then on the 28th, on Sunday, it is the, what 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 on the Gaora site, which what, what I think they should really start calling these more than homecoming shows, the Triumph of Naruki Doi <laughs> and Nara Centennial Hall. And those will both be up on the network. Maybe Doi was taking off last weekend, knowing that he's had some, like, some, some dings that he stuck off the weekend so he can be in best shape 
and make sure his uh his hand was all right to sign all those autographs he's going to be doing on Sunday. That this was this was my thought as well. Was he knows he needs to be a Nara, so if he's still injured, he's going to take the this uh, Fukuoka weekend off. Yeah, and you know I, I'm like looking at that schedule here, Case. Uh, we might need to find a time up in Chicago for this little show that it, on the fourth, the, when they return back for the first show in September in Edeon Arena, Osaka. Huh. I keep on forgetting All Out is as close as it is, and so. Buddy- so we'll have a discussion off air about that because i am only now realizing it's a week and a half away yeah man i i I realized that today when i had to go like oh i need to go submit new shot records for pudge for where he's boards at i was like oh god that's like 10 days away so all right mike plug the stuff let's get out of here yep we're we're out of here you can follow us at open voice gate cases underscore in your case i'm at fuchiheya throw us a review on apple Podcasts or spotify that would be great thanks for listening to open the voice gate we'll be back next week talking about the triumph of Naruki Doi and the return to Kobe Sambo Hall. Take care, everyone.